Hello again, lovely block ones. Time to talk about the head and neck assessment. So starting with the head, we're going to inspect the head for size, shape, any um, lesions or um, just kind of inspecting their facial features. And then we're gonna palpate to see if the patient has any nodules, uh, tenderness or lesions on their scalp as well. Um, because we wanna make sure, especially after a patient had a fall, um, that we're um, assessing for any tenderness and lesions um, to make sure that they didn't um, sustain a cut or a bruise or anything while they fell. Um, shape of the head, um, your patient could have um, acromegaly, which is an abnormal um, enlargement from um, hypersecretion of different pituitary hormones. Um, and then there's also something called hydrocephaly, which is um, usually, it's usually in children, um, but that is an abnormally large head from increased CSF accumulation in the head or cerebrospinal fluid. And then looking at their facial features, um, we're all about symmetry. So making sure that the, the right side is equal with the left side, right? Um, so making sure that they don't have a facial droop, um, do they have any twitches or any um, Bell's palsy or any other um, abnormal facial features? Moving on to hair, um, let's see. Older adults may have a thin scalp, um, axillary, and uh, pubic hair. And then hair of the ears, nostrils, and eyebrows becomes more coarse. So that is a normal finding in um, older adults. You also are gonna be looking for um, the color, uh, quantity, quality, uh, texture, and hair distribution. Um, so there are some other um, abnormalities that um, you can see. Uh, one is called alopecia. That is um, defined as just hair loss. Now it can be genetic or it can be a result of uh, chemotherapy or nutritional deficiency or certain endocrine disorders. Um, you also might see hirsutism, which is excessive facial or trunk hair. Uh, this trunk meaning the abdomen. This also may be due to different endocrine disorders or steroid use. Next, we're going to move down to the neck. Um, you want to make sure that you're inspecting the neck for flexion and extension. That is the top and the bottom photos uh, on this slide here. And um, you want to make sure that you're inspecting and palpating uh, the lymph nodes, uh, any thyroid enlargement, uh, the carotid pulses, but remember only one at a time, and then looking to see if the trachea is in the correct position. Uh, the trachea should be midline and symmetrical. If you're, if you see the trachea uh, shifting to one side or the other, the other, excuse me, that could mean that you have a collapsed, or not you, but the patient has a collapsed lung. Um, you want to make sure that there are no uh, uh, masses in the neck. Um, the most common would be a goiter, that is um, thyroid enlargement. And then when you're going back to that in 
flexion and extension, you want to make sure that your patient has full range of motion. Uh, these are the areas that you can uh, palpate for lymph nodes. Um, not usually something that nurses do regularly. This is usually um, your healthcare provider or physician that palpate the lymph nodes, but it is good for nurses to know that um, where they are. And if the patient says like, oh, you know, I have this, this lump in my neck and it's kind of hot and it hurts. So that is something that we can look more into. And that can be a sign um, of infection as well. All right, so we're gonna talk more about the eyes here. Um, the most, the thing that nurses are most concerned with are the pupils. So we do a lot of um, pupil assessment. So what we're gonna talk about is mostly Perla and um, different pupillary reactions and then visual fields. So pupils can tell us a lot about neurological status. Um, the optic nerve injury, uh, um, you know, if the eyes are, are showing you something abnormal, that could be an injury to the optic nerve or the patient's brainstem. It's also a good indicator of uh, increased intracranial pressure, which you'll get more in block four, um, but just know that pupil assessment is very important for also neurological status as well. So what we're looking for, we're looking for direct response. So when you shine a light in one eye, you're looking specifically at that pupil to see if it constricts and how well it constricts. Um, so that's the, the photo on the right hand side, pupil, pupillary constriction. A consensual response um, is you'll look, excuse me, You'll then look at the opposite eye and make sure that that pupil constricts, that they're both constricting simultaneously together, so that when you're assessing one eye, the other eye is reacting as well. So how do we go about assessing pupillary reaction? So for constriction, what you want to do is make sure that you're in a, in a dimly lit room or turn off the lights just momentarily and then shine your pen light into one eye. Uh, one eye is direct and then the other eye is gonna be that consensual reaction. And then you can repeat on the other side to make sure that both eyes are giving you that pupil constriction and the consensual reaction. Um, so older adults, the reaction time may be slower, but uh, they still should be uh, symmetrical. Each eye should still be um, constricting and um, having that consensual reaction. Um, if the pupil reaction uh, is sluggish or fixed, meaning that it doesn't move with light, uh, that could be um, cranial nerve damage or an actual brain injury. And then absence of that consensual response could indicate uh, nerve compression, compression or anoxia. Okay, so we also want to make sure that we are checking the pupil accommodation. So what you're gonna have, what you want to do, is have the patient look straight ahead and focus on an object. Move the up. Usually this is your pen light. Uh, move the object closer in towards the patient's eyes, and then note the size and location of the pupils. Um, they should constrict, and the eyes should cross as the object moves closer. Um, again, this may be slower in older adults. Um, 
and then certain medications can cause pupils to be sluggish. So it's another good um, reason to get a complete medication history. And then, you know, what we're looking for with these pupillary reactions and accommodation tests um, is that the the eyes are reacting to stimulus. And then the normal size of a pupil is usually between three to five millimeters and the shape should be round. If the pupil is irregular sized or one is larger than the other um, or one of them does not move and the other one does, those are indications of brain damage. Um, unequal pupils are seen with um, CNS disorders such as strokes, head trauma, or cranial nerve injuries. And then when you're documenting this, make sure that you are um, documenting pupil size and reaction. So how you would document this is um, pupils are three millimeters and brisk. So you would say that and it, it correlates to both pupils. So this is a chart of uh, different types of pupillary reactions. Um, so just look over this and um, just remember what we're looking for is symmetry here. So when you're seeing that the second and third um, pair of pupils right here, they are not um, you know, the same, but the second one is showing that the pupil is reacting to light. This third one is showing you that one pupil is dilated compared to the other one, and that's not good. And then the fourth one is even worse, uh, dilated and fixed, meaning that they don't respond to light. That's basically um, brainstem damage, and that could be um, a sign of brain death. So another thing that nurses assess, um, it's more in the neurological field as well, um, but we do do a visual field examination. So this is looking at the area observable with the eye. This tests cranial nerves 3, 4, and 6, the oculomotor, trochlear, and abducens nerves. Um, again, you'll get more of that in block two, but just to um, keep you apprised, we this is a mostly a neurological assessment and we're looking at um, cranial nerves. Uh, if there's a weakness in one eye or the eyes do not move together, this is called a disconjugate gaze. Um, there's also something called that you might see when you're assessing this called nystagmus. Um, this is the rapid movement of the eyes back and forth. Um, this is usually a vestibular cerebral problem. All right, so we're done with the eyes and we're gonna move on to the ears. So you wanna make sure that you're using your, um, your assessment techniques of inspection and palpation. Um, we're inspecting for placement, size, shape, symmetry, and condition. Um, you can palpate the external structures of the ear for skin conditions and to assess for any tenderness. Uh, so something that you um, want to think about too is patients that wear oxygen. A lot of, well, I guess not a lot, but um, many older patients, um, you know, have COPD or some other type of oxygenation disorder and they have to wear oxygen all the time. So usually it's, you know, a few liters and it's by nasal cannula. So 
that is a little tube that sits in their nose and then goes back around behind their ears. So um, if we're not careful, a lot of patients uh, can develop a pressure ulcer behind their ear. Um, also, you want to ask uh, your patient history questions relating to hearing. So any, any problems hearing, any ringing, uh, drainage out of the ears, any balance problems, um, or recent head trauma. Um, let's see, older adults usually have generalized hearing loss. Um, it first occurs in high frequency sounds and then progresses to uh, more more sounds on the um, on that scale. Um, so if you do test your patient's hearing, not something we usually do um, on at the hospital setting or even in the long-term care, um, but just make sure that you're in a quiet place so that the, you can actually assess the hearing properly. Um, and then make sure that you're uh, encouraging your patient to tell you if there's any problems with their hearing. Cerumen is the fancy word for earwax. Um, what it does is it protects the middle ear from excessive drying, um, but it may occlude ability to visualize the inner ear if you're doing um, an internal exam. Uh, mostly that's your healthcare providers and um, advanced practitioners. Um, but if you have excessive cerumen buildup in the ears, that can lead to hearing loss. And moving on to the nose. So again, we're a little obsessed with symmetry, making sure that everything is even on both sides. Um, looking at the shape, the nose should be midline and symmetrical without uh, any discharge or nasal flaring. And the patient should be able to breathe through both nares. Uh, Nares is just another word for nostril, so ask your patient if they can breathe out of both nostrils. The mucosa of the inside of the nose should be pink and moist. And then um, the sinuses are, are uh, air-filled pockets in the skull, and they are right near the nose. Um, your, the sinuses should have no tenderness. Um, tenderness might indicate infection or uh, sinusitis. Um, again, not something usually that nurses do, um, but it can be part of your assessment. So some nose abnormalities that you might see upon your assessment are polyps in the nose. That's that bottom photo there. Um, it's kind of like a little cyst inside the nose and that can um, obstruct breathing a little bit. Uh, or a deviated septum, that's that top picture right there. Um, some patients will get that surgically fixed um, because it does it does help a lot with breathing and with snoring. And then um, your patient might have a hole in their septum or it might be gone completely and that's associated with um, drug use. When patients snort drugs, it can uh, dissolve their septum. Next, we're going to move on to the mouth and throat. All right, so lots to inspect here, and we're mostly just looking, not touching. We usually don't put our fingers in patients' mouths. 
um, but sometimes we do. So what we're going to inspect um, are the lips and they should be midline and moist, make making sure that you're checking for any cyanosis or swelling. Uh, the oral mucosa, the inside of the mouth, should be pink, moist, and intact without bleeding or lesions. Uh, the mucosa can be darker in darker skin patients, so just make sure that you're also looking at their overall skin tone and not freaking out if their the inside of their mouth is darker. Um, in older patients, uh, the mucosa can be drier because of decreased salivary gland activity and receding gums as well. Um, the tongue should be moist and midline, um, meaning that if you ask your patient to stick out their tongue like this, uh, the background of this slide here, it should come out completely centered and should not be deviating to one side. Um, the tongue should also have full mobility and no nodules present on it. Another thing we can um, test and assess here is the gag reflex. Um, if your patient is alert and awake, we usually do not uh, test this, um, but it is something that we can test for with patients that are, um, like we were talking about earlier, more neurologically obtunded. This is uh, something that we would need to check to see if they can maintain their airway. Um, so what you do is, the, is touch the back of the soft palate with a tongue depressor. Um, older adults may have a slower response, as we've kind of seen with everything that we've been talking about. Um, if you have an absent gag response that's seen in extreme sedation, head injury, or damage to um, different cranial nerves. Um, in that case, if your patient has lost their gag reflex, then we would need to insert a device to help them maintain um, their airway because that means that they might uh, vomit and then aspirate that vomit. Um, and then depending on what your, if your patient has had a procedure um, or if they've recently had uh, surgery, the gag reflex might take a little bit to come back if they've, if we've had, if we've put some numbing spray or uh, uh, endotracheal tube down their throat. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as well. And then also when you're, you're doing that visual inspection of the mouth and throat where you, sometimes you can see the tonsils. Um, you want to look and see if your patient has a uvula. Um, sometimes those get removed from, uh, severe obstructive sleep apnea surgery. So your patient might not have a uvula and that's okay. And then sometimes you can see if, uh, your patient has a sore throat or, uh, if there's any like red patches on their throat. And um, making sure that you're looking at that hard palate as well, because like we said with the nose abnormalities, um, if your patient likes to snort drugs, that might dissolve some of their hard palate. Some common uh, throat and mouth abnormalities you might see are, uh, this is a really severe case of herpes simplex um, that's, you know, on the mouth. Uh, usually it's just a small cold sore, but um, you might see something as extreme as this. And then there is a thrush on this tongue over here that is a yeast infection. Um, so you also want to make sure that you're looking at the tongue and making sure there's no white patches on it or inside the mouth as well, because that is considered thrush and a fungal infection that we can treat with oral nystatin.
which is part of your PO checkoff. So get very familiar with Nystatin. And then make sure that you review this video and then uh, come to the oral, excuse me, because we're talking about mouths, the online review with any of your questions. Thank you so much.